0: This is the time to be in Europe because the Europeans have finally recognized that they need to develop resources within their own borders because those are the resources which can't be stopped.
1: This is Energy Cast. And I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we're talking about a renewed interest in oil and gas exploration in the European Union. My wife and I just visited Europe this summer, and if there's anything we didn't see among the castles, mountains, and bakeries, it was a lot of oil wells. My guest, as you heard in the cold open, believes that is about to change. He says Russia's never-ending war in Ukraine has been a wake-up call to those who've relied on Vladimir Putin's pipelines of oil and gas for too long. Oil and gas exploration isn't totally foreign to Europe, but most of the work is offshore. In the the North Sea, for instance. The move to start major exploration onshore, in parts of the continent that haven't seen this type of work in decades, is what makes this so interesting. It also brings up a lot of questions about what's different this time. On one site, the last well was drilled 40 years ago. Will they be fracking there this time? My guest says he was part of a group that successfully fracked wells in Poland about 10 years ago, but the regulatory environment at the time made it too challenging to operate. That was pre-Ukraine, and at the dawn of the fracking boom, when many folks still didn't know what to make of it. Experience may be the difference. It's early days, but this effort to onshore natural resources, in this case literally with oil and gas, could lead to a renaissance in European exploration. My guest today is Jim Hill, CEO of MCF Energy, an oil and gas company based in Vancouver. Jim is no stranger to oil and gas exploration in Europe, and he says MCF looked at over 20 projects before settling on two, located in Austria and Germany. The German site had previously been explored and proven back in 1983. The Austrian site will require a test well and could be a major producer. I was fascinated about the prospect of drilling in a part of the world that you'd think had long turned their backs on this type of work. There are so many parts of the world that produce. Produce oil and gas that are still friendly to Europe. Is this worth it? How challenging are the regulations? And can you even find drilling equipment around there? I think you'll be as surprised as I was. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jim Hill. We're here with Jim Hill, CEO of MCF Energy. And Jim, let's set the stage a little bit. How much natural gas is produced in Europe right now and how much do they really need?
0: Yeah, Jay, no problem. The natural gas demand for 2022 was 360 billion cubic meters of natural gas within the European Union. In contrast, their natural gas production in the entire European Union was about 50 to 55 billion cubic meters. There's a very, very large discrepancy there. And the European Union's natural gas import dependency rate was 97%, meaning the entire continent was capable of just filling three of their needs. So there's a very, very strong, strong need for energy and natural gas in the area. If Europe experiences another extraordinarily warm winter like they did last year, the continent could still face a natural gas deficit of at least 60 billion cubic meters. If they don't have a warm winter and it turns cold like it normally is, that problem would be drastically exacerbated.
1: Were there any parts of Europe that were historically large producers and over the years they switched to imports, they decided it was no longer environmentally friendly, I guess?
0: Currently, the largest producers of natural gas within Europe include Norway, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, and even Italy uh, gets in a shot there. Norway remains to be one of the continent's largest producers with a lot of their offshore fields producing gas. Germany has always heavily relied on imported fossil fuels, just like many countries in Europe. Their sole reason for this is because the relationship with Russia was so strong for so long. There was very little need to develop the infrastructure And really develop the resources within their own borders. Of course, now the relationship is out the window and Europe is left with very few energy producers throughout the continent. So they're having to import awful large volumes of LNG and, of course, get energy wherever they can get it, really.
1: When did Europe get so dependent on Russian natural gas? Was that after the Soviet Union?
0: The exact timing I'm not really familiar with, the majors exited from Europe around the 1980s. And the reason for that, of course, was in the mid-1980s, you had a price crash. That price crash caused the super majors to look at other areas with larger potential reserves. There were still very, very good prospects in Europe. They just wanted to go out and hunt elephants instead of water buffalo, I guess you might say. Russia kept the price, of course, even though it's much higher here than here in In the states they kept it at a level that suppressed the development of the natural resources within each one of the countries
1: let's get to you guys so where are you planning to start operations
0: the fourth quarter is going to be very busy for us this year. We have two wells that will begin drilling operations. The first one is in Austria and it's called Wellchau. We're going to drill a test to 2000 meters in Austria to test a very large geologic structure called an anticline. This particular structure is so big you can see it from space. It's about a hundred square kilometers in size and could contain very, very significant reserves of natural gas and condensate. The second well on our Lech concession that Kinsau 1A is in Germany. That well is very interesting because it's a re-entry of a well that was drilled in 1983 by Mobil. The Kinsau number 1, which Mobil drilled, actually found gas and condensate within what's called the Jurassic Formation. Of course, when the dinosaurs were running around was when that was deposited. And the amazing thing was, was that that well tested with a production of over 20 million cubic feet of natural gas and condensate per day, which, quite frankly, is pretty phenomenal in today's world. And then a deeper horizon was encountered in the Kinsau 2, which confirmed an oil and gas discovery in a deeper horizon. After those wells were drilled, a 3D seismic survey was run over the area, and Mobil abandoned the area, probably due to the price and the fact that the merger between Exxon and Mobil was in the offing and they were moving off out of Europe, like I said, into other areas with larger reserves. Since that time, we've taken that 3D seismic and through AI and machine learning, identified the optimum target for the redrill of this Kinsau 1A well that we're going to be drilling in the fourth quarter of this year. And we really hope to develop both of those discovery zones with the first well.
1: And so, Jim, a lot's changed since the 80s. Are we doing horizontal drilling? Are we doing fracking there? What's the plan?
0: Well, you know, in order to properly evaluate a resource and a reservoir, you really have to understand it. And our understanding will come with the drilling of these wells. Fracking is not in the plan at the moment. It's a technology which is much maligned and misunderstood. Some people think that whenever you move a drilling rig in, you're fracking. And of course, that's just not the case. It's a completion technique. If we do do any kind of process similar to that, it will be with the closest environmental supervision and controls that are available. As an offshoot, you have to realize that fracking was developed in 1949 in the United States, and there's been over 2 million wells that have been drilled and fracture-stimulated since that time. And if there was a real environmental problem, I'm sure it would have showed up by now.
1: Right. The last thing I really saw on them fracking in Europe was they flirted with it in Poland. I think about 10 years ago, and that was in the very early days of fracking. I mean, we're talking about like 2013, 2012. Fracking really came online, I would say late 2000s. By about that time, it was really going. And to your point, we've put a lot of wells into service since then. I would think that maybe revisiting fracking in Europe may not be such a stiff pill, but I could be wrong.
0: It really depends on the reservoir and of course, whether you're going to drill a horizontal well in it or not. They do frack vertical wells. They do fracture stimulation. And by fracking, I mean hydraulically stimulating a well where you actually exceed the pressures needed to break the rock. In Germany and uh, Austria as well, we do not foresee having to do that. We will probably stimulate the rock, but it won't be a hydraulic fracture. We'll probably just stimulate it with a little bit of acid and let it flow back. That's what Mobil did when they drilled the well back in 1983. As far as fracking goes in Europe, it's something that was done in Poland. There were a number of wells hydraulically stimulated there. The company that I was with at the time, BNK, was one of those companies. We drilled and fracture stimulated several wells in Poland and actually made a discovery of natural gas in Poland. But because of the regulatory environment and the new government restrictions that had been put on us at the time, it wasn't an economic thing for us to do. So we abandoned that. So I'm very, very familiar with the operations in Europe and how to complete and produce safely.
1: Sure. And Jim, my wife and I do an anniversary trip every year. And this year we did Munich and Austria, Budapest. Pro- we just basically went all around Central Europe. We did it in about a week. We like to travel like we're on the run from the law. you know. Sure. And so we were in Austria. I think we were in Salzburg and probably around what you were talking about. I think a lot of people are probably listening to this and going, why do you think this is a smart play to start up operation in a part of the world that appears to be so adverse to exploration and kind of turned away from it? And, you know, you got so many other regions That are so far along. Why go here? Why go here now?
0: Well, a changing political environment, and it's a harsh reality for many European countries, is that energy security and independence has to be factored into a sustainable energy transition over the long term. This is a simple fact that many governments and regulatory bodies, and even the general populace, are reconsidering as far as the development of their own energy resources. The EU is the largest importer of natural gas in the world, according to. To the EU with the largest share, forty-one percent of it, that gas that used to come from Russia. The region used to be independent of natural gas from Russia, but when the North Sea reserves started to decline, their dependence on Russia became more and more. There are still areas in the North Sea that have the potential for exploration, but you know, there's some resistance to continued development offshore. But really, this is the time to be in Europe because the countries realize that dependence on gas from Russia is just not part of their energy security. You really cannot depend on a single source for such a large amount of your energy security. This is not the first time that Russia has cut gas off. It's actually the third time that Russia has cut off the gas and it's had significant impacts on these countries. And of course, not just heating homes, but there's an awful lot of industry that relies on natural gas to power the industry. So not only did they have trouble heating their homes, but their job securities were very much impacted. So now is the time. And it's like I said, the Europeans have finally recognized that they need to develop resources within their own borders because those are the resources which can't be stopped.
1: Were you approached by the government? Did you want to go into there? I'd be also curious about the regulatory agencies. I mean, the oil and gas department in Austria, I Mm -hmm. can't imagine all that robust. So tell us how it was working with the governments.
0: The nice part was, was that when MCF was formed, our major focus was on getting into projects which had a short time fuse. These were projects that other companies had already tied up, had the concessions, and were in the process of getting into the drilling. These are called farm outs. And as a company, we brought money into the equation. Of course, that speeded things up quite a bit. In Austria, for instance, The operator of the Wellchow Well is a company called ADX, which is based out of Vienna and their main office is actually in Australia. They had just completed drilling a successful well in Austria and got it done in record time. And the permits for those drills were less than six months, which is almost unheard of in Europe. The permitting on Wellchow that we'll be drilling in the fourth quarter has been going very quickly, much faster than I would have imagined. It's as I said, the European Union and the countries in general are starting to recognize that energy security is important. And the nice part is we're engaging the stakeholders, the local communities. We want to really get them involved because the only time you really get problems with people is when their questions are not addressed. And one of the things we did in Poland was to have town hall meetings where I actually stood with a translator in front of a town hall meeting in a little town called Uska on the northern Baltic coast and answered the questions of the local community. And we met with the fire departments and really tried to demonstrate to them that we wanted to be a good neighbor and that if a discovery was made, we were going to be part of their community and one of their neighbors. And we wanted to be a good neighbor. And that worked out very, very well. We never had any problems drilling in Poland at all. And we envisioned the same thing throughout the rest of Europe, really.
1: It seems like there's parts of Europe that are more open to the idea of exploration, others that aren't, kind of like a lot of states in the United States here at home. There's just some states that just don't like it. Give us a flavor about who else would be open to this and who wouldn't.
0: Well, in our review, of course, we've looked at projects as far west as Spain, as far east as Azerbaijan, up to the North Sea, and all the way down to North Africa. But the countries that right now have active programs and are open to gas and oil exploration include Germany, Poland, Romania, Hungary, Austria. They're all open. They have active concession applications going, and many of them have wells drilling or proposed to drill. Germany and Austria, of course, are two of the Western Europe easiest right now, and that they've speeded up the permit process while still keeping their supervision strong, which is something we support. Again, we're not trying to step around any environmental regulations or jump ahead of anything that is really important because it is important. But the actual process and the attention that the ministries are now giving to energy development have improved greatly since I was exploring Europe 10, 15 years ago.
1: I'm also curious, you go out to Midland, Texas, and and there's just an infrastructure built up around this. Yards with pipe and all these different Mm -hmm. service companies and everything and all these roustabout guys, you know, the engineers, everybody like that. What about in Europe? I mean, it's almost like you're having to build the industry up in that region from whole cloth. How much is there and how much do you anticipate you're going to have to get from a support services and workforce standpoint?
0: Well, realize that the pipeline infrastructure is there and has always been there. The gas was coming in from Russia. It's really no problem to tie into the national grid For instance, in Germany, our connection is less than a kilometer away from our drill site. In Austria, it's a little farther away. It's 18 kilometers, but it's still quite doable especially if you find half a TCF of reserves, they're going to run you a line. As far as roughnecks and drilling rigs and that sort of thing, there are drilling contractors located in Germany and Austria, which right now have rigs available and ready for us. They have good crews, they have great safety records, and the other services are all there. May have to go into another country and import them a little bit, but that just means a little extra mob and demob as far as cash goes. So no, there isn't any real problem in finding services in europe at all
1: you talked about mobile being there all those years ago you're a smaller company why haven't super majors sparked up talks again about coming back into europe why you
0: Fortunately for MCF, in these areas of Europe, they've kind of left us behind, and a lot of those projects that they left are still there. In hiring local people, for instance, we didn't just hire local people, we bought a German company. We bought Genesco, which is a small independent oil company, and the people that came with that company were exploring Europe for 30, 40 years. They really had a leg up as to where a lot of these opportunities were, and we've bought Genexco as much for the prospect portfolio, you might say, and the knowledge as much as we did for the assets that they have. We were able to jump ahead very quickly in that space and tie up what we felt were some very, very great opportunities kind of ahead of everybody else. We were kind of a first mover in that space. The super majors are in offshore Brazil. They're in offshore Gabon or Ivory Coast. These are areas that we cannot play in because It's just too much money, too much upfront money. We need to focus on oil and gas development projects that will yield us the best return for our dollar. to help Europe with their energy crisis that's going on right now. That was kind of our focus in the beginning. But really, it comes down to shareholder value, those people who have entrusted their money with us to wisely manage and to give them a good return, as good a return as possible. And in jumping into Europe, where we really didn't have any competition and there were so many opportunities to look at and choose from, was really the best thing we could have done.
1: You're focusing on continental Europe, right? You're not talking about any kind of offshore work. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know very much about offshore drilling. Matter of fact, I probably should do an episode about it. <laughs> but that sounds to me like a whole different beast, right? Right.
0: It is, it's not just the cost of drilling of wells, which could be well into the 20 or 30 million euro range, but you're also talking about facilities. A platform can cost you a billion euros. And then of course you've got the pipeline and production facilities to add on to that. So it's a game that if we did try and play, for instance, if the opportunity was huge in return for our investment, we'd only take a small piece of it. We've looked at offshore projects just to get a feel for them to see if the return was possibly there, but also the lead time from spending your dollars to getting dollars was usually two or three years. And that's too far out for us. We want to see value added quickly, not just have to wait two or three years before you start to see your first dollar.
1: So tying this whole thing up, you're doing two expiratory wells this year. What does your glide path look like? When do you think you could be seeing operations? And then what would full-scale expansion look like? I mean, how much drilling do you think we would really see?
0: If well chow hits, there'll be a development program with multiple wells, probably as many as eight or nine, depending on what we find, which of course will take years in order to do that. In Germany, we've got two zones that are discoveries. But one of the things that we just accomplished, and the reason why we're talking about this new well, is that we just picked up a hundred square kilometer concession just offsetting where we're going to be drilling. As I'd mentioned, there was a 3D seismic survey over the entire area, not... Not just where the Kinsale well is going to be drilled, but also the area to the north and to the south, which of course led us to the applying and actual having the concession granted to about 90 square kilometers to the north of where we're going to be drilling. Because looking at the 3D, we see many additional prospects and opportunities on the ground that we just picked up. We're actually looking at drilling on this northern block, which we call Lek East. We're talking about multiple wells in 2024. And as, of course, our reserve base increases and our cash flow starts to come in, we'll be expanding the program to drill more and more wells, hopefully developmental wells during that period. And of course, we still have a prospect portfolio of other projects. It'll become a blend of not just exploratory wells, but development wells to develop the resources that we've found.
1: Yeah. Stories like this is really what I like doing the podcast about. I think I like to buck a lot of conventional wisdom about energy technologies and this idea. No one explores oil and gas in continental Europe.
0: Well, there are companies that are active in Europe. In fact, there's more than a few. The Central European Energy Council probably has close to a 100 members. And these are companies that are active over the entire area of Europe. Like I said, everywhere from Spain to the North Sea to North Africa, including Israel. And as far east as Azerbaijan, they're just not real active. They don't drill as many wells as we do in the U.S. because their capital just hasn't been there. The thing that made MCF a real player in the game was that we brought capital. In fact, in the beginning, we looked at over 20 different projects and we selected two. You asked the question, why Europe? Because now is the time. This is the best time to be in Europe right now.
1: Well, Jim, I'm going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies, starting with natural gas. Love it. Crude oil. Need it. Nuclear.
0: I want it. Coal,
1: and I'll add coal with
0: carbon capture. It has its place, and it's declining. Wind. Great, but intermittent, but part of the energy mix. Solar. Same. Biofuels. Great, with continued development.
1: Hydroelectric.
0: Great, but it's area restricted. You've got to have water, and you've got to have a place to put a dam.
1: Geothermal.
0: Great, but again, area restricted. You've got to have it hot enough. Energy storage. This is the real key for the transition to renewables. You've got to have a storage technology much better than what we have now.
1: Energy efficiency. Mandatory. And then finally, fusion power. Very exciting for my grandchildren. Everybody, I think that's probably the most lightning, lightning round we've ever done. (laughs) All right, Jim Hill, MCF Energy. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it very much.
1: That was Jim Hill, CEO of MCF Energy, an oil and gas exploration company based in Vancouver. I want to thank Jim for his time, as well as Romana Laquana and Sarah Mwaji at Final Letter PR for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 169. Be sure to join us next week when we explore how one company is making the best use of storage with geothermal. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.